It's Dr. Stu's podcast at drstuespodcast.com. I love when you say that. Do you? Yeah. This is the start of something good when you say that. Yeah, well, it is the start of something good. Podcast number 61 here. By the way, if you're listening on drstuespodcast.com right on the website, there's blogs and Fearless Pregnancy, Dr. Stu's book. There's all sorts of stuff uh, on the right side of the main page. If you're listening on iTunes, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes. You'll get an alert every time there's a brand new show. Uh, write a nice review for Dr. Stu's podcast. Give him five stars. And if you have a question for Dr. Stu, ask drstu at gmail.com. Now, he reads them all. He responds, yes, to, he responds to most of them. And some of them he uses as uh, sort of uh, a launching pad for conversations that we can have on the podcast. Yeah, I respond to all of them from readers. I, I don't respond to the junk mail ones, though. No, how could you? Yeah. How could you? So anyway, this is the uh, 61st podcast, which is sort of an, a nothing number, but I do want to send a shout out to all my homeboys back in Minneapolis who are yes. celebrating our 40th high school reunion this week. Uh, unfortunately, I probably won't make it. Uh, well, by the time this podcast is aired, I'll know if I made it or not. Right. So uh, next time you'll come back for yeah, 62 and I'll give let, us I'll a, let people right. know. I have, uh, I have a couple people do, and so until they're delivered... I really can't. Oh, the, I really can't go. The, the dispatch units now—they're coming to pick you up. <laughs> yeah, they're coming to get John. Whether you like it or not, forty years while wow, time flies. And you know, uh, we want to start uh, this episode of Doctor Stu's podcast yes, in a way we that we have never started before. Uh, my friend, Doctor Stu, Doctor Stuart Fishbein. I call him Stu. Sometimes I call you Stuart. I never call you Doctor Stu because we've been friends forever. Um, Doctor Stu lost uh, a colleague of his. Uh, a pediatrician, and by all accounts, a good guy. And I know you'd like to take uh, some time at the beginning of this podcast to remember your friend, Dr. Paul Fleiss. That's right. Uh, you, you said it very well, Brian. Um, there aren't enough of the Paul Fleisses around anymore. This is a, uh, an old-fashioned guy, a, a good man, an honest man, who treated everyone rich or poor, Old or young, with, and the children especially, with unbelievable dignity. Um, it's a tragic loss for the birthing community. It's a, bigger, it's a big loss for his family, a bigger loss for his family, of course. Um, he was a loving father and a loving family man. Uh, and uh, the midwives and I and the doulas and the childbirth educators of the Los Angeles community uh, are in debt to Paul. He was a pioneer in... Uh, bucking the system as far as allowing people and uh, to re retain their dignity and their choices and to to be able to uh, give people honest information so that they could choose to be vaccinated or not be vaccinated have uh, vitamin K or eye drops or not have those th sort of things he was so it sounds like somebody you, who supported breastfeeding sounds like you and he really uh, had, were a kindred spirit on form you know consent. he was he was doing this long before I ever evolved into this role but he was somebody that I that was a motivator for me uh, and an example for me even way back when I was you know just out of my residency program he was still somebody that I'd heard through the grapevine was somebody that you could refer to uh, especially people who wanted uh, uh, you know a low-key pediatrician a very knowledgeable man a very gentle soul uh, the, to take care of the children and he was over 80 some years old when he was still practicing medicine when he died uh, sort of suddenly 
and uh, we're all going to miss him because he was really a good man. That's very beautiful. And there, aren't, mean, there aren't enough good men in my profession these days. Very beautiful words, very beautifully chosen and uh, offered to the memory of Doc, so, so uh, rest Dr. In, rest in peace, Paul. Dr. Paul Fleiss uh, has passed away. Um, sounds like someone you emulated. I would like to feel like the, when I get to be his age, if, they, if I was thought of in the same way that Paul is thought of, uh, That'd I feel be pretty like darn good. good. Yeah, I feel like I did a good thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, God bless you, Dr. Stu, and God bless uh, Dr. Paul Fleiss, uh, a good friend of yours, a colleague, and uh, we, we wish him Godspeed. Interesting story that we've been reading today about a hospital in Florida here on Dr. Stu's podcast. Uh, the headline, the story, uh, here's the broad strokes of it. A hospital in Florida trying to force a woman in Florida to have a C-section. Now, we, a number of podcasts ago, this is 61, but back in the 50s, if not the late 40s, we had a podcast about uh, a woman uh, over on Staten Island, Staten Island University Hospital, who, uh, interestingly enough, we had talked about that, had felt that she had had a c-section forced upon her this is a different story than that one right yeah well this is a completely different story um it's happening i don't know if it's happening more often or if it's now because uh it is making the news now because there are more advocates for women uh to try to get this sort of thing stopped i i do not understand the motivation i understand the medical legal issues and i understand i do not understand the motivation for hospitals to come out this militant and this angry. It can't be good for their public relations. It can't be good for their bottom line. It can't be good for the woman. It can't be good for the staff. And yet they're vehemently, I mean, they're doing things. Let me, let me, just, let yeah. me just quote a little bit from yeah. this article. And, and, and more than quote, give us a backstory here. Take us to Florida and tell us what you know about uh, mom or mom-to-be and the doctors. Give well, us some background. I only know what I've read. Of course. Okay? Uh, now, only know what's the, been reported. By the time this airs, also there will have been much more discussion about this. Sure. My good friend Gina Kirby is actually doing a one of her podcasts uh, tonight, I think, in real time. Today is what... Uh, July 26th today? Uh, it's Saturday, whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, today's Saturday, and it is the 26th. Right, yeah. so uh, in live, she's going to have a whole bunch of people on, including some uh, women's rights attorneys, uh, to talk to discuss this. But the story is this. This woman has had three previous sur surgeries, and she has looked at the pros and cons of a fourth delivery and found that the risk of a fourth surgery carries with it significant risks. She has three healthy children at home? Three healthy children at home, and uh, all born by cesarean section. And she's looked at the pros and cons of both repeat cesarean section and vaginal birth, and looked at the data, and has come to the conclusion that she would like to try a hospital VBAC after three C-sections. Not a home birth, not anything like that, which, of course, you know, you know I support, right. which may be considered a little bit on the far, far outside, but she wants to do something in the hospital setting. Now, the hospital has threatened to force a, this pregnant person, her last name is Goodall, Mrs. Goodall, Ms. Goodall, to have a cesarean surgery against her will and to report her to child welfare authorities hmm. for exercising her right to medical decision-making. The threats were made in a July 10th, 2014 letter coming from the, not her doctor, not the medical staff. The letter came from the chief financial officer of Bayfront Healthport, Hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina, Charlotte, uh, Healthport, Charlotte. Mm. I guess it's in Fort Myers, Florida. Right. Um, 
And it said that the mother of three, who was nearly 39 weeks pregnant, the letter informed her that because she decided to have a trial of labor before agreeing to cesarean surgery, her prenatal care providers intended to report her to the Department of Children and Family Services, seek a court order to perform surgery, and to perform cesarean surgery on her with or without her consent if she came to the hospital. Well, how is that even in America allowed? Good question. Good question. What's the answer? I don't know. That's why I'm saying it, what I said in my, my introduction. I said, I don't even know why they would even say stuff like that because, first of all, I don't think they can win. Second of all, they're certainly going to lose in the court of public opinion. Uh, you know, this, if they believe that this is so dangerous, all right, then, you know, they, they have a right to say that. Right. But, but women have the right to say, okay, you know, if this isn't made available to me, then where am I going to go? You're my hospital. It's my insurance covers your hospital. I'm coming there. I'm choosing not to have surgery. You're telling me I have to have surgery. So is your ultimate, I'm thinking ahead here, Dr. Stu, is your ultimate 40, 50 years from now, Dr. Stu would be thrilled if hospitals actually encouraged people uh, if after interviewing them in a case like this, she says, well, where am I to go? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the hospital could say to her, well, you could have a home birth? Or is that so far out in the stratosphere that that'll never happen? I think that liability has weaved its tentacles so far into everything that happens at a hospital that they're, they're afraid to go to the bathroom without consulting their risk managers. And I think if they said to a woman, you can't come here, but you can have a home birth. And then she had a home birth, and there was a problem there that they would feel like they're responsible. There is no personal responsibility uh, charter anymore. No one takes personal responsibility. This, this article was posted, or a con the contact person is a woman named Farah Diaz-Tello. Okay. And what she says, which is very very, and she's a, she's a civil rights attorney. She's okay. a, an attorney. Right. Okay. And she is sort of involved with the, the case trying to help this woman. Um, she says something very interesting. She says, she acknowledged that the hospital's concerns about malpractice liability are real, but noted that there is no legal or ethical authority that supports managing liability concerns by forcibly performing unwanted surgery. I see. And so you, your question is the same question that I think 99% of Americans who don't know anything about anything would ask. Right. How can you force somebody to do that? It's her if, body. If, the, if a fourth cesarean section carried no risk, then you could say, okay, it's, a, you know, this is, you got, you know, this is way up here and this one's way down here, but they both carry significant risk. Sure. All right. Actually, I should take that back. Neither carries significant risk. They both carry risk because significant risk would mean like, you know, 50% chance okay. or 75% chance of something going wrong. But I get We're the not point. talking about that. We're but talking But less... your point is they both carry risks. Right. We always talk about this. The minute the sperm hit the egg, there's risks involved sure. in pregnancy. But what if this woman wants a fifth child? Then by having the fourth C-section, she's now taking on the risk of a fifth C-section. And the, her decision is completely logical. It's not like she's mentally incompetent. It's not like she isn't well-informed. She's probably better informed than 95% of people who would just do what the hospital told them to do. So what in your mind's eye, it's Doctor... It is infuriating. In your mind's eye, Dr. Stu, what happens when, 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 when this woman looks, or her husband or her family members look to the doctor and say, no, she doesn't want a C-section. Does the doctor, talk about a God complex, does the doctor look at them and say, no, I'm sorry, she will have a C-section? Is it that adversarial? Yes. I mean, 
it, it has in, in these cases particularly brian it is yeah. that adversarial what what rights do, what state is this florida what right does mom have in florida to pick herself up with the benefit of her family and leave the hospital well she has the right not to go to the hospital once she's there she has the right to leave the hospital at any time but of course then the hospital is going to cover its liability by reporting her to whatever that the uh, Department of Children and Family Services, right, and say that, that she she's le- a bad that, mother, and that she say she left under medical she's against b- medical best, advice, best medical advice, against medical advice, and that she you know she's endangering her child. Okay, now Mrs. Goodall, much to her credit, says the following: She says, "My decision to allow labor to proceed before consenting to surgery is based on years of research." careful consideration of the risks to me and my baby and my family's needs. All I want is to be able to go to the hospital when I'm in labor and have my medical decisions respected. And my decision is to proceed with a trial of labor and not have cesarean surgery unless some medical complication arises that makes cesarean surgery necessary for my or my baby's health. Instead of respecting my wishes, as they would for any other patient, my health care providers have made me fear for my safety and custody of my children. Well, we promise you on the next podcast, number 62, Dr. Stu's podcast, we will either have Miss Goodall on the phone and do an <laughs> interview, or we will have a full update on the situation uh, that is uh, fluid. Yeah, I would like and, to try to get one and, of these attorneys. And on. developing an attorney, her, but we will get you a full 360-degree uh, update on that story. Because See, even Brian is passionate about this, guys, because... He's actually saying we should get Miss Goodall on the phone. We've actually never done a phone interview on no, the we'll Doctor Seuss we'll podcast. Plus, Mrs. Goodall is going to be busy, hopefully, uh, nursing and caring for her yeah, baby and resting and sleeping. But she'll she'll have some time for Doctor Stu. No you, doubt you about think? it. Yeah, absolutely. She'll I don't have think time she knows who Doctor Stu is. Well, she can listen to sixty-one podcasts and get to know who Doctor Stu is. Well, she's going to have the time when she recovers from her from her unwanted <laughs> right. C-section. Now we're going to finish up in a short while with a rant from Doctor Stu. But right now, John Norton here, who is our engineer, uh, it's been a very, very, very monumental week for John Norton. What arrived in your mailbox this week, dude? I got uh, some bills from the doctor. Basically, um, I got health insurance for the first time. I'm freelance, as you guys know, so I don't have any company or anybody who like helps me. So you were the, you were somebody that the uh, Affordable Care Act was supposed to assist. Right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I ended up getting that health insurance. Let's, let's see how that worked and out for him. What I did? <laughs> may I see the card? Yeah, yeah. You want to see it? What I did was I um, ended up getting the highest level of health insurance that they offer, the platinum level. Because the price difference, I pay a little under three hundred a month. So you're on Obamacare. Yeah. Okay. Now, are you getting a subsidy for that three hundred a month, or is that flat? No, nah, I make too much, so I get. I just got to pay like it's 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 it's, it's yeah. Who who is your check written to every month? HealthNet. It's through HealthNet. Three hundred dollars to HealthNet every month, and yeah. that's through the uh, exchange of Obamacare called. Yeah, it's like it's called, like two eighty called Covered California here in California. Right. Okay. It's like two eighty, and basically the bronze level, which is the lower level, was going to be like two forty or let something. Me, let me see what you got. So my whole thing with brian was i didn't want to like pay for insurance and then have a high deductible right so i opted to get the highest level that they have the platinum level dude i have the platinum level that's, of not, a, that's not a very platinum level looking card there bro. yeah it's a nice <laughs> cardboard it's a card of, they it's a little it piece of paper do you like one doctor yeah i'd like to look at one in case you got to treat me Says, for that home it's, birth fi- thing? it's fine paper it's egyptian uh quality paper yeah, uh papyrus hey, i think hey yeah. by the way uh babu <laughs> well uh, i don't want to let you down but uh your name ain't even on this card of course it is. What are you talking it's about? It's on this one. I got it on this oh, one. Yeah, on come one. on, buddy. Okay. It's on both the cards. 
Effective date, 3-1-14. Well, yep. good luck. Have you talked to Bruce Stark yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I have to, uh, talked to Bruce Stark. Who I is went in there. Bruce Stark? He's my primary care physician. He's a good dude, okay. actually. All I right, like good, that guy. Good. But here's, here's the thing, though. I started getting some bills from Bruce Stark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, once he knows you're covered, cha-ching. Right. So get this, though, dude. So I, like I said, I got the highest level, the platinum level. The reason why I got that was because I, I have zero deductible. And, you know, there's a copay. So I go into that office. I pay my $30 copay. I think I'm done. Suddenly, I start getting these bills from Dr. Bruce Stark surprise, and some of these other doctors. Surprise, surprise, and I, Dr. Stewart, you're not surprised by the bills I'm from that. I'm not surprised. I, I, I call the insurance company and I go, what's going on here? I thought that, you know, I just had that copay. Well, there's all these other a la carte sort of copays. Oh, well, you got some x-rays done, so you had a copay on that. And then you got uh, so, so some blood work done, so there's a lab copay. Add it all together. How much in bills did they send you? I mean, to be honest with you, it was only about another 60 bucks. But the point is, is that like I have zero deductible here. You know, they sell you with that whole thing of like, oh, you got the thirty dollar copay for the office business visit, but then there's all these other copays. So I go to them. I got to get a colonoscopy. <laughs> I'm like, what kind of a copay can I expect with that? Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, if they have to remove something, there's going to be a three hundred dollar copay. And no, I'm like, but I'm going to tell you that, that Bruce Stark, I hear, is a good guy. He'll send you a dozen red roses the morning <laughs> after the colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah. Now, Doctor Stu, yes. you are not surprised, surprised, surprised <laughs> by John Norton's situation, but are you sympathetic? pathetic to it well yeah because i like john <laughs> <laughs> if it but, wasn't john would you be sympathetic no i think I, no i'm not sympathetic you get what you pay for okay and you know you can't get health care from the government you know and you're not and, and expect that you're going to get good service i i love the fact that it's platinum and i love the fact that he has uh no deductible all right i don't know how that that could possibly be Unless there's got to be some subsidies or something like that, because, or people have signed up to take the doctors have signed up to take diddly squat as far as reimbursement goes. Yeah, right. But uh, no, I'm not surprised that that there's sort of hidden meaning and or hit or loop loopholes in this whole thing where he's going to get charged more and more and more and more. Right. And you know, I, uh, again, I'm glad he has insurance. I think it's it's great that he has insurance. And I, I look at this. this I, do too, thing I do too, John. Has has helped many people. It has. All right. The problem is it's going to fall apart when after the first year when the people aren't signing up or people are paying the penalty and the subsidies go away. John. And all that stuff happens. My, my dear friend, you go get yourself taken care of. And if you need... To borrow some money? No, if you... <laughs> If you need the health care for um, some of the issues you and I have discussed, then I think you need to get in there and take full advantage of your health insurance. I will say I'm not the hugest fan of Obamacare, but one thing that is pretty massive that people overlook is the the no pre-existing conditions anymore is great. Because those it. insurance companies really were like, you know, you get sick or something, you go through the limits no, of the policy. You get, you get, get that yeah. is one of and, that and, is one of Obamacare's biggest victories yeah, over the it insurance. Really, it really is. Well, to it, me. it's a victory me now. Too, it's too. a victory now, but will it be a victory? In the in your let's see what John's premium is next year. And to be fair, there is no such thing as a free lunch. You can't expect to have the no pre-existing conditions taken away, and you're and then not free. have to like you're, you're pay a little bit money. extra in and the insurance, you're, which I which I don't mind. I just didn't like all the surprise a la carte copays and buddy, that and buddy, I suddenly and buddy, got. You know what? Uh, hold your head high. You're spending three hundred bucks a month as a single guy to health net for your health insurance. You're spending thirty six hundred a year for health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So be be glad you got it. Congratulations. Well, I'm spending more than that because of all these extra copays. Oh, relax. <laughs> yeah. You can challenge those. Right. But I'm just I'm just saying that it would be interesting. This is the first year 
and let's see what it, let's see what his premium does next year. I mean, my daughter's premium went up uh, about forty percent in one year from when she turned from when, age sixteen to seventeen. Her premium went up forty percent. Interesting. But the government doesn't offer any of insurance. Just to be clear, HealthNet's a private company. Like sure. like Obamacare, they they link you to other private sites. Right. Like the government isn't actually well, offering anything. Well, it is, it is and, if and, you take Medi-Cal or Medicare. Then it, then it those is, are right. the exceptions, but point of information, they're all available through the exchange yeah. uh, in California. It's called Covered California. There are 14 states, or maybe it's 36 states, who don't have an exchange. I don't. It's one or the other. Yeah. And John, you, you know, like you said, you make enough money that you don't qualify for a subsidy, so you can afford $3,600 a year. The problem is, is that there's a lot of people who $3,600 is, is a big is a big deal for right, them. Right, right, right. I okay. just don't like the surprises of all these extra bills that I wasn't expecting. You know, you, you don't look at the fine print and you think you're just going to go in for that $30 office visit and it becomes $100 And I'm glad visit. that you have this now, but let me ask you one more quick question about your insurance. If you wanted to see a specialist... Do you have to go see what's yeah, his name? Bruce Stark. Bruce Dr. Stark. Bruce Star- <laughs> Dr. So, Stark. So you have to pay $30 to see Bruce Stark right. to then pay $30 to see the person you needed to yeah, see in the first Yeah, I've place. already gone to a bunch of specialists. Right. So every time you have to go to a specialist, you need to see your gatekeeper. Right. Bruce Stark for thirty bucks. Bruce Stark, the gatekeeper, yeah, the uh, <laughs> the the uh, the uh, commander of the colonoscopy. Because I was like, I'm paying for this insurance. I'm going to get my money's worth. He's got the thinnest fingers in the valley, really. <laughs> I mean, and he tells that to the males uh, who come to his office. He says, John, hi, Commander Stark. Uh, commandant of the colonoscopy. I want you to know, just relax. <laughs> I have the thinnest fingers in the valley. I got like three or four referrals from him the first time because I'm like, if I'm paying for this insurance, I'm going to get my money's worth. I'm going to make the rounds. I haven't good. been to the doctor. Now, you've like only been to- he finally pretty much threw me out of the office and goes, okay, that's good for today. You got to go to the dentist. Well, too. yeah, he only can. He, I don't have dental insurance. He's only getting paid for, for six health. minutes worth of his time by, by the insurance company. So he, you can't monopolize too much of his time. Let me ask a question because I don't know whether or Look not. Look at Stu advocating for Stark. He doesn't even know. Well, <laughs> I went, well, I, I do because they, they have to do volume in order to make a living. I mean, we, uh, that's, that's simple math. Um, you've only been to see Stark one time? Twice. Twice. Is it hard to get an appointment with him? It's a little bit hard. Like, how long did you have to wait for? I mean, I, 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 my, things, the first obviously. appointment took like a month to get because I was like a new patient. But then when I went and saw him the second time, it was only like a couple of weeks. And I was actually pleased that the waiting wasn't that bad in his office. Good. I'll tell you, though, I looked at those bills that they sent me because I went and got my hearing tested, too. So a dermatologist. So I've been to some specialists and stuff. These bills are pretty crazy, man. Like, because, you know, the whole scam, the way the insurance works is the doctors bill a huge rate and then the insurance goes, oh, we're not going to pay all that. We're only going to pay this much. So when I went and saw the ear, nose and throat guy, he basically looked up my nose and then said, and then I got a bit, I looked at the itemized bill. The insurance paid it. I didn't. But the bill was like 300 bucks for some in-office surgery. Well, that's expensive. You know what they say? It's also called fraud. Seeing Dr. Stark. No, because technically it was something. Oh, we ruined his joke. Okay, Uh-oh, start Brian, over. Brian's having Let's a go back. Joke. Let's go back. P- pick up. I, your, I, I can't do the joke. Pick now. up your mic. I, I can't do. The oh joke. no! I hate when he does that. No, I. I it, now you'll laugh at me. And you started, and then you knew I was trying to do the joke, John. <laughs> I did not. And you interrupted me. All right, do it again. Do it again. And when I All put right, my talk. hand up like this, it means I really got one that's worth. So he of charged three hundred dollars for your nose. Yeah. And you say it a few more things. <laughs> what, what am I supposed to say? Just say, "Yeah, is it just expensive?" He started. Okay. He charged three hundred for your nose. Well, take, take two. Goes two. Oh, what? He started. Yeah, he, yeah and, and it's fraud because it wasn't even surgery in the first place. He's just like examining you, and he probably charged you for a higher level exam than actually what he actually did. Yeah, basically, he charged three hundred for my nose. Well, and yeah, and it just goes to show a visit to Doctor Stark ain't no walk in the park. 
That's the joke, dude. That was it. All right. So. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Wow. We had to do that, a retakes apolo- for that. Excuse me for a second. I'm apologizing to the listeners. No, don't right apologize. Now. No, because this listener is smart enough to know that if you had just let me do it normally three minutes ago, it would have been brilliant. All right. Now let's. Uh, something I'll never apologize for is a rant from Doctor Stu. And look at this. The clock. We got a lot of time. We got a lot of time. The so. clock is ticking. Doctor Stu, we like to end this. We do this sometimes. Well, we don't have to necessarily end this. We still got a uh, good. Six, seven, eight minutes to go here. Well, I, we got five, just over five or six can, minutes. I don't know that I can rant for that long. Well, you give it a shot. I'll help you out. Oh, I probably could. All right. All right. So, um, you know, I've been talking about, we've been talking a little bit here on the on Dr. Sue's podcast about the silliness of what's called maintenance of certification, which is where doctors used to be board certified for life, and then it was every 10 years, and then it was every six years. And now it's every year with, a t- uh, with, with modules, paying over $1,000 a year to, to make, keep that stuff up. And then every six years, you have to take a written exam. And there's a big pushback right now. There's a, a, a lawsuit, an uh, antitrust lawsuit mm-hmm. in federal court uh, by the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons against the American Board of Medical Specialties, who's getting rich by... by uh, pushing um, board, re- board certification, annual board certification to medical boards and to hospital staffs and to insurance companies saying that this is the only way to ensure you're going to have a good doctor. And these annuals, uh, forgive me, Dr. Stu, before annual, it was what? Well, it, before 20 ev- years ago, it was lifetime. Okay, you took it and you were board certified yeah, for lifetime. Yeah, it's like a lawyer who takes the bar doesn't have to take the bar again. Right, and this is now that you have to get board certified annually every year? Yes, wow. in order to maintain it. How long, ago, no data. How, no, how long ago did they debut this nutty idea? Within the last 10 years, it went from being once every 10 years down to every six years. And in the last three, I think, I, I'm not exactly accurate, last three, four, five years it's been... Now they want to do you. They want to have you take something written every year. Ooh, wow! You have to fill out these things. You have to take time out of your day. You have to take certain courses. And the the thing again gets back to the fact that there has never been any science anywhere of any quality that isn't ideologically motivated that shows that taking annual board certification is better than board certification every ten years or is better than not being board certified as far as the quality of health care that a per- person gets, which ultimately shouldn't that be the bottom line? Sure, of course. Okay. So on another point, an- another financial aspect of medicine is the American Medical Association is the, you know went along with the Affordable Care Act against the wishes of most of its members because it has the sole monopoly on the coding that doctors must use and hospitals must use in order to get reimbursed from insurance companies. I see. Uh, it's called CPT coding and ICD-9 uh, coding. ICD-9 is for um, uh, diagnosis and CPT is for procedures. And when you say coding, that's in code, as in C-O-D-I-N-G. Correct. That is for uh, when you go to your doctor, you'll get a super bill. If you've been to the doctor, you'll see and on the super bill are a bunch of words you probably don't understand necessarily and some numbers or barcodes that you don't understand. And that is how the doctor gets paid from the insurance company. I see. The... Uh, American Medical Association has complete sole proprietary uh, uh, handle over all that stuff. It makes more money, the American Medical Association does, from its coding stuff than it does from dues from its members. Right. So now that, com- that organization is no longer necessarily responsive to its own members. It's more because it makes more money from something else. So it doesn't even have to pay attention to its members. So along that line, 
uh, I got an email from the American College of OBGYN, which is not part of the American Board of Medical Specialties, um, but they're offering a course in coding. Okay, so now there's this cottage industry that has sprung up. So in order for you and your staff, in order to get paid for the work that you've been doing forever, you now have to learn every year, you have to learn the new coding nuances. And so you have to take coding workshops and you have to buy coding software updates. And it runs into the several thousand dollars at a time. So the American College is sponsoring a workshop this fall in Seattle. And you know, for the, for the small cost of $1,200, Mm. I get to, I could go, and for my staff member, it would only be another $985. Oh, is that it? Um, for my staff member, for my office manager to go. So okay. it cost me over $2,000 to be able to have me and my staff up to date on new coding stuff, which, of course, will only be good for a year until they change the codes change again. Change it again, right. Right. <laughs> so talk about, this is one of my real rants and pet peeves, is the, is the industry of medicine has taken, is taking all the money, just like, just like in education, the teachers were sort of the last people to get paid. It's the administrators and the principals and the, that sort of people that got paid. The same thing's happening in medicine. And the last people to get paid are the ones that are actually doing the work. The nurse practitioners, the nurses, the doctors, the um, physician's assistants. These are the people that are ending up trying to have to keep up with all this crap. Again, that, sh- that, ha- that there's been no science to show that you know, maintenance of certification is valuable and the idea that we're going to have, instead of, I think, 35,000 codes as we have now coming this October, which mm. I'm sure we'll do a podcast on, right. will be ICD-10, which is going to have about 140,000 codes. And as I've said before, Brian, there's going to be seven to nine codes on bites from a bird. Right. Of okay. course. Of course. And, you know, is it your right arm or your left arm? You're going to have to have location codes as well as the type of bird. Yeah. Okay. This is, I mean, do we really need all this stuff? And, and is this for better, betterment of care or is it for bean counting and being able to determine how we can cut costs here and how we can cut costs there and who's using too much and, and, and comparing one physician to another physician and pitting them against each other? And this, to me, is the end of medicine as we know it. And that's why Dr. Stu and several people like me and Dr. Paul Fleiss was always like this, too. We did not take insurance. We do not succumb to this. We are not going to be uh, listed as... We'll be board certified, but we won't be listed as current or up to date. There's a great rant from Dr. Stu on Dr. Stu's podcast. Well, here as we wrap up podcast number 61, thanks for listening on iTunes or at Dr. Stu's podcast. Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com for questions, comments, and uh, oftentimes they're used to start conversations on the podcast. We want to dedicate podcast 61 to Dr. Stuart Fishbein's good friend and colleague, Dr. Paul Fleiss. So we dedicate Thank this you, show to Dr. Paul Fleiss. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next time on podcast number 62. Thanks for joining us. For Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us.